right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's going on? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson still sick today. He's out again. So another edition of Nick Chalk Sports Talk. I don't know who thought it was a good idea to, to give me another show to myself. But uh, here we are. Here we are once again on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, another big show today here coming up on RCST. We'll get into a little bit more of some of the latest transfer portal news for KU football coming up here in a little bit, uh, as well as a little bit of a construction update on uh, David Booth Kansas Memorial Stadium. Also, really wild past like 36 hours in the NBA uh, that I want to touch on a little bit. Shreyas Lotta of the Kansas City Star is going to join us here later on in the 3 o'clock hour to talk a little bit about KU football and KU basketball. Uh, I also want to take a look around the rest of the Big 12 landscape when you look at Big 12 basketball. You know, conference play is uh, a couple less than a couple weeks away. We'll get into that a little bit. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, also going to join the show coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. And also Bill Self spoke with the media earlier this afternoon uh, ahead of KU's trip to Indiana. So we'll dive into that a little bit deeper later on in the show as well. Rock Chalk Sports Talk, as always, is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Off the top here, how about a little fun with numbers? That's right. Uh, who doesn't love a little fun with numbers? I do. And uh, KU... The numbers for the Jayhawks still looking pretty good. You know, just the one loss to Marquette. When you look at them in Ken Palm, they're 11th in Ken Palm right now. So Ken Palm doesn't necessarily respect them as much as seemingly the AP poll, or AP poll voters do. But uh, how about this off the top here? Since 1992, so in the last 30-plus years, only 12 Jayhawks have shot at least 25, 25 free throws in a season at 85% or better, including right now. That includes Marco Jackson. Now, of that list of 12 Jayhawks, seven of them shot at least 37% or better from three-point range that season, and five of them shot 40% or better from three. The only one who shot below 33% from three, below, below 33% from three, was Michael Lee at 30.4%. Now, the reason that's significant is because El Marco Jackson, so far this season, is shooting well below those numbers from beyond the arc. So he's shooting the ball well from the free throw line, but from beyond the arc, he is not shooting the ball that well so far this season from the perimeter. He is just 22% from three right now. But again, from the free throw line, 91% right now. So basically that all is to say, does those do those numbers give you confidence that Marco Jackson is going to start shooting the ball a lot better from three? I mean, think about that. 12 Jayhawks over the last 30 years, over 30, over 85% from the line. And of those 12, only one of them shot below 33% from three. And Marco Jackson is at 22% from three. 
You look at the list of players of those 12 players. Steve Woodbury, Rex Walters, Ben McLemore, Brandon Green, Grady Dick, Sharon Collins, Ryan Robertson, Isaiah Moss, Greg Gurley, Nadir Tharp, and Michael Lee. That's the list of players that shot over 85% from the line uh, in, in their respective seasons. So basically, the, the point there is is to highlight the idea of if you look at those numbers, does that give you confidence that Omarco Jackson is going to figure it out from three, right? Only 22% right now. That's almost 10% worse than the worst of those guys that all shot over 85% from the line in that season. I think it has to a little bit. And I don't, I mean, it's not realistic to expect Omarco to continue to shoot 22% from three over the course of this whole season. You would think that he he's going to start shooting the ball better than that. Can he get to, you know, low 30s? I think that would probably be really best case for Kansas. Uh, but, you know, that Marco Jackson wasn't necessarily billed as a three-point shooter coming in for KU. He was more of a slasher, more of a, a guy that can get to the rim. But considering Kansas's current, I guess, uh, lack of shooting, regular shooting from the outside, does Marco Jackson need to become more of a bit more of that shooter role, and, and can he become that, right? I mean, you look at... You look at KU, Hunter Dickinson's obviously been been great, but can you expect that to continue over the course of the whole season at high at increased volume? Probably not. Kevin McCuller's been obviously very, very strong as well. Can that continue? You hope, but I would expect McCuller's three-point numbers to drop probably a little bit. Uh, then you go to Dewan Harris again. He can shoot the ball well, but maybe not necessarily high volume. KJ Adams is not not going to be your three-point threat. And then off the bench right now, Johnny Furphy's your best three-point shooter. Uh, because Nick Timberlake has has just been not quite fully able to figure things out totally from his from his standpoint. So when you when you break that all down, it comes out to does El Marco Jackson need to be a little bit more of a of a three point shooter? And if that's the case, can he get there? And again, by these numbers, I think you have to believe that he will get better and start hit start hitting some threes. Right? I mean, a, a lot of times you look at free throw shooting percentage can be not a direct correlation, but can be an indicator of having that shooting touch, being a strong shooter. A lot of great three-point shooters are generally great free throw shooters and vice versa. So, you know, it, it makes sense. And so for right now, for Marco Jackson to be shooting the ball well so well from the free throw line, but having it not translate to the three-point line, can we expect it to do so? And I think the answer is is probably somewhere in the middle. Like, I don't think Marco Jackson is going to just start absolutely scorching the net, but I do expect him to increase his three-point shooting percentage based off where it is right now. I mean, you can't expect him to keep shooting 22%. I think he's definitely going to be at a higher clip than that at some point. But the the question is, can he get to that potential, and does he have that shooting touch, which I think clearly he does based off of his free throw percentage. So, you know, if El Marco does increase that, that should only serve to further benefit guys like Guys like Hunter Dickinson, right? Uh, you know, if teams have to guard the perimeter on the outside, besides Dickinson, that's only going to make th- that's only going to make his job easier, right? And it's and it's and it'll also it'll make his job easier in a lot of ways. You think about the Missouri game and how Missouri was playing, especially with KJ Adams, where they were basically playing five on four, right? <laughs> they were they were putting that guy as soon as KJ Adams got the ball, they were they were sagging sagging way off and and basically doubling Hunter Dickinson from before he even could get the ball. And if you have a guy like Marco Jackson that can that can still extend that defense out a little bit, not only does it allow Hunter Dickinson to have ideally more freely one-on-one matchups down low in terms of just getting the ball, then once he does get the ball, 
with the vision that Hunter Dickinson has, if he can rely on guys to kick it out to if, if there's double teams or if they want to try to, to harass him and pitch down on him, that should open up even more, right, for KU's offense. So, uh, Marco Jackson, something to keep something to keep an eye on, right? So I think his three-point shooting percentage is something that we'll, we'll be keeping a close eye on over the course of the season because it feels like he could get there based off of his shooting percentage from the free-throw line and based off of those stats. Uh, how about this? Since 1992, eight Jayhawks have averaged at least 12 points, three rebounds, and three assists while shooting 45% or better from the field for an entire season. Frank Mason, Devon Dotson twice, Kirk Heinrich twice, Keith Lankford, Mario Chalmers twice, Jared Haas, and the other two of, on that list are both currently playing. Kevin McCuller and K.J. Adams. Both those guys are in that would, would fit into that category if the season ended today. Now, obviously, it's a small sample size, but the fact that you have two players on your team that are so balanced, right, in different ways. I mean, you look at Kevin McCuller and what he's done since returning to Kansas. Very, very impressive stuff, right? I, I mean, I think I, I think it was reasonable. You know, we talked about this over the summer when Kevin McCuller did, did say he was going to come back. You would think it was reasonable to expect him to get sort of that Bill Self extra year bump of coming back because we've seen it now unfold a couple of times with Ochai and, and with Jalen Wilson. I don't know that I expected it to be to this level so far this season for Kevin McCullough, right? I don't know that I expected him to be to this level so far. So the question becomes, can he continue that, and will he continue to be that type of player? And I don't know. At this point, I think you have to start buying into the fact that he can, right? I mean, you look at the, the three-point percentage is the biggest one for me. Right now, he's he's close to almost 40%, shooting the ball very well from three. I, I would think that will drop a little bit, but... The question is how much, right? I mean, we talked about it preseason. If he, even if he increases his stats just to, you know, so he's at, he's actually over forty percent right now. If he just if he just increased that number, you know, you look at his previous seasons. His highest was thirty one percent back with Texas Tech, twenty nine point six percent last year with Kansas. You know, in the preseason we discussed this idea of well, can Kevin McCullers three point percentage go up to like thirty three or thirty four percent, and that would be considered a pretty significant win. He's at 40% right now, right? I, I don't know that it's going to continue to be that high, but the point being, even if it does drop 3 or 4% down to you know 36% or 35%, to me, in my eyes, that's still almost way better than what I even hoped it could be preseason in terms of what his number could jump to. So that's remarkable, right? That's remarkable. And you really, really, really like to see that from Kevin McCuller. And, and you know, you go through, obviously, you, you know what you're going to get with his defense. You know what you're going to get with his rebounding. And he, he's been really, really good, right? And I think some of these guys' assist numbers are going to be boosted by the fact that you're playing with, with Hunter Dickinson, I think. You throw it to him, and he just he's, he, he's going to score, and you're going to get an assist off of it, even if you didn't necessarily do anything to earn that assist, if that makes sense. So, uh, but yeah, still, still really, really impressive stuff from Kevin McCuller and Again, even if that three-point percentage drops a little bit, I think you still have to be over the moon about what he's done so far this season and the way that he's he's playing so far this season. I mean, 40% from three, 54% from two, 83% right now from the line, uh, which is really, really great to see. And then you think about then you think about KJ Adams. Everything that KJ Adams has been through and everything that he continues to do for this team. There's there's not even enough superlatives, I think, to offer K.J. Adams in terms of 
what he brings, his his emotional energy, his his physicality, his just strength, his his willingness to do all the little things. You know, he's and now developing that little bit of a push shot to help to kind of pull teams out to guard him a little bit more. His his storyline and his evolution as a as a as a Jayhawk. I, I mean, he's gonna go. He's already, I think, will be going down as one of the most beloved Jayhawks of all time. And, and then you you consider some of the hardship that he's faced recently and and how that's inspired him on the court even more and it's just incredible and and when you think about what he can bring and how much he could possibly elevate this team you you really really start to get excited because the fact that he seemingly just continues to find ways to make big big impacts uh is is very very impressive so i mean you look at his you look at his 68% from the floor so far this season, I mean, just just an outstanding player and an outstanding emotional catalyst for this team. You know, I think one of the one of the cornerstones of a lot of great Bill Self teams is you, you need to have one guy who's just who's going to get emotional. Who's just going to get emotional, and I think KJ Adams certainly fits that bill significantly. So, uh, very very good stuff uh, from KJ Adams. So, you know. Uh, Will he? Will he? You know, twelve points, three rebounds, three assists, forty-five percent are better from the field for a season. I mean, I think it's safe to say KJ Adams is probably going to achieve that, maybe easily, right? I mean, I guess maybe the points would be the biggest hindrance, just because he's technically, you know, third or fourth option. But maybe I guess the assists. I don't know, but still, if he does that, that would put him in very, very impressive company uh, for the season. And I think Kevin McCuller will easily get that, seeing seeing as he's he's turned into one of the main engines of the offense with, with Hunter Dickinson. Uh, Kansas right now, by the way, is 40th, or ranks in the top 40 in the country in block rate defensively. That would be the best block rate for a Bill Self team since 2020. And uh, if you think back to 2020, they had a one specific guy on that team that was really, really good. So, uh, But when you think about someone like Hunter Dickinson, I mean, a whole laundry list of things come to your mind before you get to defense slash blocking shots. But at seven two, he can still be that guy, you know. And then you see KJ Adams, and I mean, listen, just just rewind the clock back to Saturday against Missouri, and you see the significant block that he had in that game. So you know that he's capable of doing it. Kevin McCullers long as well. So it's not, it's not. So KU this season by having by being kind of in that level of, of shot blocking in the top 40 right now, it's not because they have one guy who just is absolutely swatting everything, you know, like a volleyball player and is just blocking everything. It's it's more of a, a some different guys, some different guys that can can get a block or two here or there instead of having just one go-to big man that can block. Because, uh, again, with Hunter Dickinson, you probably think of 10 different things before you even get close to thinking about defense as, as kind of his main traits. Uh, but he can get it done. And then KJ Adams with his, with his athleticism can, can get it done. And that would, that would be pretty interesting to see if KU does end up finishing in that category in the top 40 in the country and block rate uh, by the end of the season. Right. Because that, that, that could be a bit telling about the athleticism and the length that they maybe have. And the fact that it's not just coming from one guy uh, would, would be interesting. Uh, something else for Kansas that they've done really, really well so far this season has been getting shots at the rim. Kansas is shooting 70% at the rim this season per CDB analytics. 
They're also getting shots at the rim in the in the 98th percentile as well. So they're getting a lot of shots inside, and they're also hitting a lot of those shots, right? And again, you can point to the Hunter Dickinson effect on this one, right? I mean, get get the ball to him inside, get him a shot at the rim, and then I think you look at KJ Adams as well with the amount of dunks that he gets. Those are shots at the rim. You know, I'll never forget with Bill Self when he with with Doak early on when he would just say, hey, man, just just go dunk it, right? I mean, just just go dunk it. Why even mess around with trying to lay it up? You're bigger and stronger than the other guy. Just go dunk over. Just go, just go do it that way. And Hunter Dickinson is not like that, but, you know, he's a bit more of a polished post-game. Post but the fact that you can still get to the rim like that if you're Kansas and score a lot at the rim like that, and that's including the fact that, you know, Kevin McCuller, especially in the Missouri game, he was missing a lot of layups at the rim, a lot of shots at the rim. That uh, could have, that could have been potentially and one plays that maybe could have even boosted the staff for Kansas even more. But yeah, I think the combo of Hunter Dickinson, KJ Adams dunking, and uh, and Kevin McCuller, and then you throw in the fact that hey, what if El Marco Jackson does gain a lot more confidence and he does open up and start slashing a lot more and he's getting shots at the rim, that just further serves to I think uh, benefit that as well for Kansas. So it's it's a good formula for Kansas to have right now. Take a lot of inside shots and also hit a lot of inside shots, right? And Derek and I, have kind of we've kind of flirted with this idea of how good of a three-point shooting team does Kansas need to be if they are an extremely efficient and elite two-point shooting team. And I think that is kind of a question that probably will remain up in the air, really, until you get later into the season. But, you know, does this team need to be how good do they need to be from three to, and, and if if they are very very efficient at getting shots at the rim and making a lot of shots at the rim, what how good do they need to be from three at that point? And I think it's an interesting question, right? Because on one hand, if you run into a Villanova, you know, back in 2018 or whatever, and they make a billion threes, that's going to be tough. But on the other hand, that recipe is probably a recipe for success in the long term in terms of in conference play and grinding out games if you can just simply get more efficient and make more buckets from two than the than the opposing team you're you're probably going to win right you're probably going to have a good chance to win if you're very very efficient at it and that's kind of where Kansas is at right now and i don't see any reason why that why that can't continue right i don't i don't see any reason why KU can't continue to be an elite level rim team getting to the rim because of Hunter Dickinson and because of KJ Adams and because of some of the stuff that we've seen with uh, that that Bill Self has drawn up. You know, we, we've seen we saw early in the season some of that three man game where it was Dewan Harris driving off pick and roll with with Hunter Dickinson and KJ Adams would cut down the baseline as well. And KU got a lot of buckets off of that. I think back to the Kentucky game, they were really really good at executing that and scored a lot off of it. So I see no reason why KU can't continue to be at that level in terms of uh, how good they can be efficiently shooting the ball from two. Uh, KU right now overall offensively. They are 29th in adjusted offensive efficiency on Ken Palm right now. And uh, over the last decade, so it was dating back to 2013, Bill Self has had five offenses ranked 25, 25th or worse on Ken Palm. And so they're 29th right now, so just outside the top 25. This might make you feel a little bit worse, though. When Bill Self has had offenses at the end of the season ranked outside the top 25 in Ken Palm, four out of those five years, Kansas got bounced in the second round. Last year, 2021, 2019 and 2015. You go back to 2013 when they made the Sweet 16, lost to Michigan. 
They were outside the top 25 in offensive efficiency that year as well. So generally, what that tells you is that KU's been, first of all, really, really good on offense, and generally has been in the top 25 on offense when they've been very, very successful. And they're very close to that. And, and again, I think uh, maybe the three-point shooting hurts them a little bit, or the lack of three-point shooting, but pretty close, right? But on the flip side, defensively, Kansas is sixth right now. And over the last same 10 years, over the last decade, Bill Self has had four defenses in the top 10 in Ken Palm. You go back to 2020, they were number two in Ken Palm on defense. No tournament, obviously, unfortunately, but I think a lot of KU fans unanimously agree that Kansas was the number one overall seed and by far the best team in the country heading into that tournament. In 2016, they were the they were number three in defensive efficiency, went to the Elite Eight. In 2015, they were they were number nine in defensive efficiency, lost in the second round. And in 2013, they were number five in defensive efficiency and lost in the Sweet 16 against Michigan. So kind of take that with a grain of salt. Take that as you will, right? Basically, well, my big takeaway is, hey, listen, if you're if you're in the top 25 and in the top 10 in both offense and defense, you're pretty good, right? Which, duh, no-brainer. But uh, some interesting numbers there for Kansas. And obviously, still plenty of time left this season for KU. We still have a couple games left in conference uh, non-conference play before conference play starts. So, uh, But that's some fun with numbers for uh, KU basketball right now as they get set to take on Indiana on Saturday. We'll, we'll take a deeper dive into uh, Indiana and KU on tomorrow's show before that game on Saturday. Bill Self did speak with the media uh, ahead, earlier today, earlier this afternoon, ahead of the Indiana game. We're going to get to that audio later on in the show. Shreyas Lada from the Kansas City Star is going to join the show in about 15 minutes from right now. In the 4 o'clock hour, I wanted to get into some more updates on the transfer portal with KU football with uh, a notable player entering the portal earlier today. And uh, Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, is going to join the show also around 4.40 later on in the 4 o'clock hour. So that's a look at what's coming up here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to take a short time out. When we come back, how about a little construction update? That's right. The booth is coming down. We'll get a little bit into that a little bit. And as I said, Shreya Salata will join the show in about 15 minutes. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out sick today. So a little bit of Nick Chalk Sports Talk here on RCST. And right now we are joined by none other than Shreyas Lada of the Kansas City Star. Uh, Shreyas, first off, you go back to the game on Saturday for KU basketball against Missouri. Kind of a ho-hum win, really. I mean, you know, kind of kept them arm's length, I guess. What was maybe your biggest takeaway from uh, KU's win over Missouri uh, this past weekend? I mean, I think they did what they needed to do, right? Like, they didn't play their best basketball for the first, what, 12, 13 minutes of that game, and they took control. And for the most part, I felt like they kept Missouri at bridge from really having a real comeback. Uh, I think the the closest they got was within eight, two times in the second half. Uh, And, you know, I think this team, and I think I've said this before, is going to have – games where they're not going to cover the spread because of the fact that they lack three-point shooting and they lack 
uh, offensive rebounding. Those two things are the things they've struggled with the most, I think, uh, percentage-wise and, and rating-wise in the Belsoff era. I wrote about it a little bit. Uh, and I think that's where the variance of the games are a little closer than they want them to be uh, against opponents that probably should beat by a little more. Yeah, and when, and when you mentioned the three-point shooting, that lack of three-point shooting the KU's had this season, a lot of that seems to stem from the fact that you know a guy like Nick Timberlake hasn't quite had things click for him. I guess to this point, you know, we've only got three games left in non-conference play. I guess how concerned are you about Nick Timberlake, and how concerned are you about him even finding that rhythm and getting to that that point where I think a lot of KU fans hoped he would be in terms of three-point shooting. I think I'm a little concerned now. You know, like I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like there's not a a super long leash for Nick because of some of his uh, defensive miscues at times. Um, he made a three against Missouri, which I think was good. And I feel like, you know, you want him to get as comfortable as you want in the role because, I mean, like, people look at the percentage that KU shooting from three, but it's complete mirage. Like, you know, they're in the 300s in three-point rate, uh, which is really, really low uh, in percentages of, like, of, you know, how much they're actually attempting threes. And, and we've seen it this year is teams can outshoot them. It doesn't matter how good or bad they are. They can outshoot them, and that disparity between – uh, how much they're shooting threes and how much other teams are shooting threes is pretty high. I, I, I'm going to have to look into this, but I don't think there's been as high of a, you know, rate of letting other teams shoot threes and not taking threes for most Final Four contenders in the last, like, you know, five, ten years. Um, so that's definitely a worrying trend. But I think the whole Nick Timberlake thing, like, you hope he gets his confidence back and kind of his mojo, and it seems like it's slowly building, but... I feel like there is a tight leash on him because self, I think, has said he expects a little more out of Nick. And I think KU fans probably expect more, too. And I think this is where, you know, obviously, like, issues with standing and all that, you know, our Cherry Morris loss is definitely uh, felt. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to your point about the three-point shooting is that when you look at how successful KU is and how efficient they are with two-point shooting, I mean, how good do you think they really need to be from three to be that Final Four contender, right? If you're a team that's so good at shooting and being efficient with two-point plays with guys like Hunter Dickinson and K.J. Adams, how much, how, how good does KU really need to be from three, do you think, really to be that Final Four contender? I think it, they just got to be able to attempt more threes. And, you know, like, if the percentage go down, goes down, so be it. Like, it doesn't really matter. I expect it to go down. I feel like them being so afraid to kind of just jack it up from three, uh, and obviously, I get it. They're incredible inside the arc, and they've done a great job on defense. Those two things have kind of won them a lot of games that they might not have won otherwise. But, you know, you run into a hot shooting team in the tournament, and then you could be out. I mean, that's basically what happened what against Arkansas, right? They, they made a ton of threes, uh, and they beat them uh, with the athleticism on the boards and stuff like that. I mean, like, that's the worrying tread for me with this Kansas team is, like, there are some things they really, really well, but, like, the modern game is you need to take threes and you need to be able to keep up with your opponent if they're a good three-point shooting team. Uh, I think it 100% depends on, like, you know, ideally you want them to make about six, seven threes a game. Uh, maybe that's a little too much. But, I mean, self team that won a title with two big men, you know, 2021, uh, or 2022, sorry, uh, still had a, a much higher three-point rate than this team has. Uh, and, and just, you know, overall, I think... You have to keep the defense honest a little bit. Otherwise, it puts a lot of pressure on these guys like Hunter Dickinson, Ken McCuller, KJ Adams to score uh, points, especially because DeWan and El Marco have been kind of just still figuring things out. I mean, they've gotten better, I think, as the season's gone along, but they haven't been as good as expected or hoped to be quite yet. 
Yeah, to your point on putting more pressure on some of the guys on the other guys on offense, you look at how Missouri basically attempted to play defensively against Kansas, where as soon as KJ Adams got the ball, they were basically playing five on four. They just said, Hey, we're gonna double team Hunter Dickinson right away. And KJ Adams was able to make them pay a little bit with some of those sort of push shots from just inside the free throw line. How important do you think it is for KJ Adams to maybe continue to develop the ability to score from just beyond the paint to maybe help free up other areas of the offense for Kansas? I think it's kind of humongous, honestly, because I think Missouri gave a really good game plan for teams, uh, at least until Kansas gets adjusted to it, which they did in the second half, on how they can limit Hunter Dickinson. I mean, they basically said, K.J. Adams and the guards have to beat us, and K.J. Adams stepped up and did what he did. You know, he's had a a three-game stretch that's been pretty incredible on the offensive end. Uh, I think right now, as a season, he's shooting a career-high true shooting percentage, career-high efficiency field goal percentage, uh, career-high assist rate, career-high, like, uh, you know, a couple other things. He's just had a really good year to start the year. And, I mean, you know me. I've been very high on K.J. Adams, what he can, cannot do. Um, and I think he's a guy that can play in the NBA eventually. So him showcasing that he can score outside of that paint range is, is tremendous for Kansas and tremendous for his own personal, I think, you know, if there is a draft stock, a draft stock I mean, I feel like that's been the, the talk a little bit. I saw Jonathan Giovanni, uh Draft Express guy, uh, talk about, you know, KJ Adams, the switchability in defense and everything he provides, et cetera. So it seems like he's building himself up uh, as, a, as a prospect for maybe an NBA future down the line. And, and more importantly for Kansas, they need him because they just don't have the, the guard play uh, on the offensive end, I think, that they expected. Yeah, and to that point, you look at the total totality of the bench for KU in the game against Missouri. Played The, the bench in total just played, I think, 23 minutes in that game. Uh, does that concern you at all that still at this point you're not really seeing a lot from the bench? I know Bill Self made a comment a couple weeks ago about how the team seemed tired, at, and I thought that was a little bit surprising for him to say that at this point in December. Uh, is there any concern maybe if when you do have to see guys like Hunter Dickinson playing 35 minutes a night, K.J. Adams playing 36, 37, Kevin McCord playing that, uh, is there any concern about maybe this team wearing down a little bit as the season goes on? I, I can 100% see it. I mean, this is where you need a guy like Johnny Murphy and Jamar McDowell, Nate Timberlake, those guys to be able to step up and give you the minutes. I and mean, we've seen it in different games, right? Jamari's had a game or two. Johnny's had a game or two where they've shown flashes of being really, really good and what their potential could be. They just haven't quite put it together yet. Um, I, I definitely think it's a little bit of a, a concern because you ideally hope the rotation goes about eight deep come March because Phil likes to shorten the rotation anyways. You know, every coach wants a nine, ten man rotation. Does it happen? Very rarely. Uh, you know, usually if that happens, it means they're a stacked team where they just like having different looks at the bench gives them. Um, so, I mean, you know, come March, I expect Bill to shorten, short, short, shorten the rotation already. But I mean, I feel like he's had a, a pretty tight leash on his bench this year because I think he knows those guys are still very much in the mode of figuring things out, haven't quite delivered in the way uh, he might have wanted, but. You know, I, I think he said Johnny's been a pleasant surprise in how advanced he's been, and, and he showcases that with his scoring ability on the floor and all the other stuff he does great. Um, but I, I definitely think it is a little bit of concern, especially as conference play comes in, because the games will be uh, quicker. You know, you'll have two, three games a week instead of having these long breaks uh, that they're having right now and then between the Yale game. Yeah, KU does have three games between now and the start of conference play, as you alluded to, and I guess. For you, is there any one specific thing you want to see KU or from KU in these last few non-conference games before they do gear up for conference play? Is there maybe one thing you're looking at for them to to do well in these last three games before conference play starts? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the the couple of things for me is just I love that the rebounding got a little bit better in a sense of you know I feel like it's they can be definitely better. I mean, Hunter Dickinson leads the country in uh, I think rebounds, which tells you how much of uh, you know kind of carrying Kansas is the back on his uh, Brian Lonesome has kind of been on the rebounding end. I think KJ can do better on that end. Um, I think Kevin's done a pretty good job, but these guys, like, I mean, like, you know, Marco and Dewan just have not gotten a ton of boards and, and self alluded to the fact that those are not guys that typically get a lot of boards. I mean, last year they weren't a great rebounding team anyways. Right. But you had Grady Dick and Jalen Wilson who could go get boards when KJ would bat him around. Now they need KJ to, instead of backing around, bat him around, they self talked about it. He needs to give it back to himself and, you know, make the most of it anytime he has the ball. I think that's the big thing I'm looking at. And then I think just the guard play. Uh, you know, I want to see more out of the guards uh, for KU in general, from Almarco and DeJuan to uh, Nick and, and Furphy and, uh, you know, Jamar McDowell. Like, those five guys, are, you know, I think can all play better than they have played, uh, especially with uh, DeJuan. I mean, somebody asked the self today how he's played, and he said, I think he's been solid, but he's had some careless issues. Uh, taking care of the ball, uh, and I think he can 100% be more aggressive in the offensive end. I think that's something we I feel like we talk about every year with him. Um, but and you you hope El Marco continues to progress, which it seems like he's done a little bit in the last couple of games. So uh, those two things are the things I, I think I'm paying attention to the most: just how the guard rotation looks like, and if the rebounding can improve a little bit. Bill Self had mentioned that he feels like the, there's a long ways to go for still for KU to kind of reach what what the, what they can be. And I think it's an interesting question of when you look at KU and you look at, you mentioned Dewan Harris, Hunter Dickinson, KJ Adams, Kevin McCuller, of kind of those four guys, which one of them do you think is maybe the most important for KU maybe reaching that ultimate ceiling that they're looking for? Which of those four do you think maybe is the guy that can get KU to that highest ceiling out of those four guys? Oh, that's, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think about it right now, right? Hunter Dickinson probably is playing as well as you could hope he played. So I, I'm going to knock him out of that list. And Kevin McCullough is probably playing as well as he probably hoped he could have played. So it, by de facto, it just leaves K.J. Adams and DeWan Harris. And I think, you know, DeWan reaching his ceiling is probably really important to this KU team because, you know, obviously him taking threes opens up the floor and gives better spacing, breathing room, and stuff like that. But, you know, it just makes off, KU's offense so much more dynamic when they have a point guard that's looking to score. And it's not just that, hey, Kevin, you know, hey, Hunter, and or hey, K.J., score when you have the ball because I feel like sometimes with this Kansas offense if it's not in the fast break uh, on a, on a half court it can be a little painful some possessions and obviously they do a great job with passing the ball I think they're like you know top five or top number one in the country in assist history and that's great but what that tells me is it's like a slow methodical kind of burn with this offense because you know nobody's there's no like guy that you can sit there and say okay you can bomb away from three or whatever you know I feel like with Kansas sometimes there are moments where it could be just kind of rough to watch the offensive possessions uh, and I think if DeWan is a little more aggressive in the offensive end and, and you know limits his turnovers and stuff like that this Kansas team is that much better. We're talking with Trace Lada of the Kansas City Star here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Trace switching over to football less than two weeks now away from the guaranteed rate bowl Kansas taking on UNLV Lance Leipold had spoken previously about the process of hiring Jeff Grimes and kind of what's expected from from him coming in as the offensive coordinator along with Jim Zabrowski as co-offensive coordinator. What, what was kind of your takeaways maybe from Lance Leipold's comments about the process of Jeff Grimes and kind of where you think maybe this whole system comes together once he fully integrates as the offensive coordinator? 
Yeah, I think they're really excited about Jeff. I mean, they talked about how they basically invited him the minute he got fired from Baylor to come to bowl practice, and the conversation kind of started from there. And you know, it seemed like there was a good list of candidates from what Lance was alluding to that he's expected. He was surprised that people were interested in the job as much as they were. Uh, and there's a lot of similarities with him, him between him and Andy Kolnicki. I think one of the big differences is Jeff loves using screens uh, and. He likes to, I think, the the lining up motion-wise is more directly behind the center instead of having a shotgun snap. I think those two things are the biggest differences between him and Andy. But I think the fact that a lot of what Kansas has already done, the familiarity and all that, was a reason why Jeff Grimes was hired, because he runs a pretty similar offense to that. And, I mean, like, he's had he's been at two different schools, and he's had uh, two different times, like, top ten offenses. So, like... You know, I, I think a lot of it comes down to offensive line play with Jeff Grimes' offensive system. And Kansas has, you know, the last three years has been really good uh, at protecting the quarterback, at, at, you know, being good at, at creating holes for the running back. Um, and I think that's why Jeff will be a good hire for this Kansas team because I think it'll be a nice change of pace. And obviously Andy is a big loss because he's so good and so creative at what he did. But I'm really excited to see him and Zabrowski and what they can come up and, and if they can help Jalen take even bigger of a step uh, next year. Uh, hopefully he's healthy. Yeah, Leipold had also spent some time talking about the transfer portal, and KU overall has done a pretty good job of maintaining the portal. They just, they just have a departure earlier today with Gage Keys. But when you look at what Lance Leipold said about that and kind of this era that college football is in with NIL and transfer portal, what do you think makes it unique about KU that they seemingly are able to hold on to a lot of their players right now and have, and have been able to hit the transfer portal as well? I think this coaching staff is a tremendous job of keeping the guys they need to keep, which I think is huge. Uh, and, and, and I feel like they, they're honest about the roles and expectations they have coming in. And, I mean, to be quite frank with you, I feel like it's, you know, who wouldn't want to be a part of a program that's on the rise? I mean, like, this Kansas team could have easily won 10, maybe even 11 games this, you know, regular season, right? And you're looking at that fact, and you think about the fact that the playoffs are expanding. I'm sure a lot of these guys look like, wow. I'm going to get the chance to showcase myself next year, the new Big 12, and Kansas will probably be in the top end, you know, in preseason polls and stuff like that, just because of the continuity and the guys they have coming back. Um, and, you know, if they make the college football playoffs, it's even more eyes on Kansas. And that, you know, with 12 teams, that's a real possibility. So I feel like just the opportunity that Kansas provides between the coaching staff, uh, being honest and introspective about, you know, what they can and cannot do, uh, I think it's huge, but also the culture Lance has built with his coaching staff has been really important. And I think they're really uh, loyal. You know, it feels like guys that come to KU love their time at KU for the most part. Um, and, you know, I think this coaching staff has done a great job of keeping the guys they need to keep. And, you know, if they if, if guys leave, so be it. But, you know, I, I think everyone's ready to be a part of this Kansas team that tries to take an even bigger step next year after taking a pretty big step this year. Yeah, there are still some guys that may have some pro decisions coming up as well that we might be awaiting. But uh, for now, KU looks like they're in pretty good shape uh, heading into the bowl game against UNLV. Shreyas, uh, appreciate your time. He is Shreyas Lada of the Kansas City Star. Shreyas, uh, just real quick, anything you got upcoming on uh, for the Kansas City Star you want people to be on the lookout for? Yeah, I uh, hope I'll have a story this weekend uh, about some stuff. I will just kind of leave it at that. Uh, but we'll see. It's uh, more kind of uh, Lawrence KU related, but um, and then obviously we'll have a lot of Indiana coverage between me and Gary, which will be fun. And uh, we'll have our film breakdown next week uh, early about uh, UNLV awesome. between uh, me and Carter. Sounds good. Well, hey, Shreyce, appreciate, appreciate your time as always. He is Shreyce, a lot of Kansas City Star. Shreyce, thanks so much.
Thanks for having me, man. All right, that was Shrey Salata of the Kansas City Star joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, or oh, excuse me, one hour down, two to go. Got a little ahead of myself. One hour down, two to go. We are going to get more into that uh, discussion with Gage Keyes and the transfer portal coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Also, Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, will join us later on in the 4 o'clock hour as well. Bill Self did speak with the media ahead of the Indiana game coming up on Saturday. We're going to get to that audio later on in the 5 o'clock hour and break that down a little bit more as well. But two hours down, or one hour, gosh, I keep getting that mixed up. One hour down, two to go here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We'll take a timeout. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out sick again today. So a little bit of Nick Chalk Sports Talk here on uh, on RCST. Thanks to Trey Slaughter for joining the show here uh, on the, in our previous segment to talk about KU uh, basketball and football. If you missed that conversation, you can check it out on our Best of RCST podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, and of, including KUSports.com. Uh, the Best of RCST podcast brought to you by Massage Envy. And towards the end of that conversation, we did get into KU football a little bit and talk a little bit about uh, the transfer portal for KU. And it's been a pretty quiet transfer portal cycle so far for KU. The portal remains open through the first weekend in January, so there still could be some guys departing the program. But there was a pretty big departure earlier today. That's a defensive tackle, Gage Keys. Uh, announcing that he will be entering the portal as a graduate transfer keys, uh, a transfer into the program from KU from Minnesota, and uh, did get some role, did get some uh, a role in, and had some playing time for KU uh, so this season, and seemingly I think was probably in line to have a pretty significant role next season as well. When you consider the fact that you're going to be losing Devin Phillips, who was a gra- who was a transfer in from from Colorado State, so. Uh, a bit of an interesting decision there from from Gage Keys, and in part of him saying that he was going to transfer, it it kind of seemed like he maybe was it was a money situation. Uh, there had been some posts from him earlier in the week about knowing your worth and, and things like that, and maybe he was interested in, in making more on the NIL side. And uh, he did he made a post, and in the post that he made about leaving KU, it made it seem like he really really loved Kansas and really really enjoyed his time at KU, which was uh, really nice to see and. And uh, makes you wonder maybe if there was more money involved possibly for him to for him to enter the portal uh, if he if he if that's what he decides to do. So uh, a bit of an, a bit of a, a loss there for Kansas on their D line after already losing Devin Phillips. He still have the Austin Booker situation up in the air with him getting some some feedback from the from the from the NFL. So if if you want to go with the route here that maybe this was a situation where they were, it was NIL related possibly. On one hand, you think, okay, well, that's not great that maybe KU isn't able to compete money-wise possibly in NIL if, if that was maybe the ultimate deciding factor. But I think if you look at it from KU's perspective and they have a finite amount of resources in NIL, uh, maybe even better than other schools, but if you're Lance Leipold and you're sitting there thinking, okay, well, do I need to keep Gage Keys or do I need to look for to try to keep somebody else like a Melo Dotson or Kobe Bryant? Melo already coming back, or even like a Devin Neal, even like an Austin Booker, right? You know, those are these are these are decisions that the modern college coach didn't have to make recently, right? Didn't have to make up until just the past couple of years, and all of a sudden you do have to make these decisions of, you know, making sure that uh, guys are both feeling comfortable with their playing time, with the program, with everything on, and then on top of that. You throw in the financial aspect of it as well. So 
So I don't know. It's a bit curious, but certainly wishing Gage Keys the best. He, he, he enters as a graduate transfer, so he'll be moving on. And, and for KU, that really opens up some a lot of discussions for them on the defensive line. We've kind of touched on the situation for Kansas where because of their scholarship situation, it's kind of a one-for-one swap of who of of guys that leave and then the guys that they can bring in via the portal, right? And you think about Tanaka Scott entering the portal, and I think Lance Leipold had maybe even said this that maybe it was going to be a situation where you know you lose a you lose a D lineman, you get a D lineman, you lose a tight end, you get a tight end, you lose an offensive lineman, you get an offensive lineman. I don't necessarily know that KU is going to be in the market for a receiver to replace Tanaka Scott, so maybe that gives them some extra flexibility here to double down in some areas, and most notably, that would be on the D-line, right? Especially if you no longer have Gage Keys there either uh, because he was a guy that had great length and made some big plays for Kansas in the season and, and was an important piece, I think, or was going to be an important piece moving forward uh, for KU in the future and was probably a guy that KU had uh, plans for, uh, plans for going forward, right? So that is... I think uh, definitely definitely a loss for for Kansas, but it could turn into a situation where you know it leaves them a little bit more flexibility to try to go get something uh, in the in in the portal in terms of replacing Gage Keys. Right when you look at when you look at Gage Keys' numbers on Pro Football Focus, he was graded pretty well for some of his games. Some of the games, not so much. He totaled 301 snaps for the season. The most amount of snaps he played in a single game was Texas Tech with 34, but his snap count had been pretty consistent and, and had gone up towards the end of the season. He was getting on the field more towards the end of the season for for, for KU and was making more of an impact. So, uh, again, a bit of a loss there for Kansas. And when you look at what it means for the rest of the D-line room that they have right now, it sucks to lose a guy like that if you're Kansas because, again, I think they probably did have some plans for him going forward. Certainly, the biggest loss uh, in the portal. You know, we, we, Derek and I talked about how KU hadn't lost anybody really from the two deep yet, and this was a guy that was certainly going to be in your two deep. I think next season, so if you if you want to extend that that thought process out, and you already lose Devin Phillips, as I mentioned, three hundred one total snaps on the year for 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 Gage Keys. He finished with a uh, sixty point five PFF grade total, sixty two grade in pass rush, forty three in tackling, sixty three in run defense. Uh, for Gage Keys in totality for the season. And when you look at the room as a whole, you're still going to have guys like Tommy Dunn and DJ Withers back next season. You're still going to have Caleb Taylor. And I, I believe McGee will be back off an injury, plus Keenan Caldwell. And then you've got some uh, some guys as well that redshirted, Blake Harold uh, being one of them uh, as well. So you, you still feel okay, but you, know, you, you look at KU coming into this season and – Prior to the additions of guys like Devin Phillips and Gage Keys, it really felt like it was going to be a kind of a big season for Devin Phillips for uh, excuse me for Tommy Dunn and DJ Withers, two of the younger players. But with the transfers, you basically had another year of those guys developing. Those two guys, you feel like need to be impact players pretty much next season in the middle of the defensive line. But I do think Kansas is definitely going to be looking to add to this room. And uh, they even before the announcement today from Gage Keys, a guy that KU had been very interested in and will probably ramp up their interest in uh, is Ontario Thompson, a defensive tackle transfer from Iowa, who KU was actually in his top three, I believe, when he originally committed back to Iowa. I think he he's a guy that they probably will be interested in. I'm sure there'll be more guys in the portal that KU will be paying attention to on that D-line because I do think this is a probably their biggest loss. Well, I don't think there's any question it's their biggest loss so far. 
in the in the portal. Uh, but it's it's not a it's not a backbreaking loss, right? Like it's 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 a disappointing loss, and I think that's that's part of the era. That's part of this era of college athletics, right? You have to be, you almost have to resign yourself to the fact that there's going to be some guys that you wish would stay in the program that are going to be leaving for one reason or other. Again, maybe it was financially related with NIL, and maybe you know guys are looking out for themselves and looking for an opportunity to to to, to better themselves as best as they can given the the circumstances that they're in. Whatever the whatever the circumstances may be, you almost have to resign yourself to the fact that hey, you're gonna lose probably some guys that you wish you wouldn't, and it's gonna be disappointing, right? It's it's gonna be a little bit uh, unfortunate that you're gonna you're gonna lose some guys that maybe you don't want to lose. So, I think Gage Keys falls in that category. It's not a it's not a backbreaking loss. It's not a a loss that KU can't recover from in terms of finding somebody in the portal to replace and adding some depth. But it is one where it's like uh, you know that kind of stinks, right? Like uh, you know oh that kind of Stings a little bit, you know. That's a, that's a guy that, again, I I think I feel like he was probably in line to have a pretty significant role on this D line next season, right? So certainly it hurts from that standpoint. And but again, this does add this does allow KU to now be more active. That's kind of the give and take of the transfer portal right now for KU and the position they're in is guys leave and it allow it will then allow KU to be a little bit more active in the portal. It'll free up their scholarships because of the fact that they're right on that limit, right? Which is uh, that's where you want to be. You want to be right on that limit, right? I mean, you think about previous iterations of coaching staff for staffs for Kansas football, and the you know the state of the scholarship numbers and the and the roster construction was just really really not good. Lance Leipold has a very very firm uh, grip on how he wants to build his roster, what the roster looks like, and the fact that and the competitive nature of the roster. And what he's got to work with, and I think clearly there's there's a there's a there's a long long term plan in, involved for Kansas here, and part of that, you know, part of that does have to include the fact that hey, you might have some departures you don't expect, you might have some guys enter the portal that you're hoping would stick around and you could develop them, but I, I still trust Lance Leipold and his staff to go out and, and maybe fill this need. You know, I think I've kind of talked about this when you look at KU and the transfer portal under Lance Leipold, they have been very, very good about going out and A, being aggressive, and B, getting guys that have turned into real impact players, right? When you think about some of the transfer portal guys that KU has brought in, especially on the defense, which is where, which is where Gage, but I mean, even to, even in total, even on the offense too, but you look at the defense, Devin Phillips, I would say was a pretty big hit. J.B. Brown, very, very big hit. Uh, even a guy like Marvin Grant, big hit, right? Uh, you go to the linebacking core, Craig Young, multi-year guy that's been a big hit. You look at the defensive end position, Lonnie Phelps, then Austin Booker, right? Two of your biggest hits uh, in in total overall uh, on that D line, right? Uh, and there, you know, there's been a few misses, right? You're not gonna you're not gonna bat a thousand uh, on bringing in transfers that are gonna have an impact, but I think KU has done a very very good job of getting guys that have been impactful, being very aggressive about getting going out and getting guys in positions where they feel like they they need it, right? You know, when I think about KU and aggress- and being aggressive in the portal where they feel like they need it, I think you look at their special teams. You know, one of the worst special teams in the Big 12 last season, and they went out and they w- they were aggressive, right? Now, maybe you say the Seth Keller transfer transfer wasn't a big hit, but, you know, they were still aggressive about it. They went out, they got Damon Greaves. So that they're going to be aggressive. They're going to look at all their options, and I have a lot of faith in them to do that. And I think they will definitely do that when looking at this D-line. Uh, going forward and then something else that I kind of wanted to note here that I think I'm not quite sure how significant this might be one way or the other but 
when you think about relationships and you think about, you know, guys on the team and whatnot, I wonder if this has any impact on Austin Booker. And here's what I mean by that. Gage Keys and Austin Booker both came from from Minnesota, right? So if those guys maybe had a personal relationship or were close friends, having a guy on the team with Gage Keys who is maybe a good friends with Austin Booker, I don't know, maybe that tips the scales in saying, hey, you know, I can come back and have a great season and also I can play with one of my good friends. But if Gage Keys is no longer on the team, I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of those small things where obviously I don't think it would significantly impact one way or the other, but I just think it's something to consider maybe, something to consider with uh, with Austin Booker. And, you know, that's obviously a big decision that, that KU uh, waits on and still waiting on Kobe Bryant. I think uh, I hadn't checked the, the latest numbers on Kobe Bryant on his uh, YouTube subscribers page that he's been uh, trying to get people to subscribe to before he makes his announcement. Henry Greenstein yesterday, I thought, made up, brought up a great point of Kobe Bryant would probably not be trying to encourage or wanting KU fans to go subscribe to his YouTube channel if it wasn't to announce that he's coming back to Kansas, right? Uh, you know, oh, come, come, come subscribe to my YouTube channel so that I can announce that I'm going pro. I don't know. So I don't know. Maybe that makes you feel a little bit better about Kobe Bryant. Not much right now on the front of Austin Booker uh, in terms of what his decision may be. But again, the fact that he and Gage Keys came from Minnesota, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's uh, maybe I'm reading too much between the lines on that one, but I think it is noteworthy at least to uh, to mention that. So the first major loss, or first, I don't know, major is not the right term. The first real uh, productive loss in the transfer portal for Kansas uh, earlier today with Gage Keys, defensive tackle from Minnesota, entering as a graduate transfer. There's also a bunch of weird NCAA stuff going on with the transfer portal. There's been some different rulings happening over the past day or two with the transfer portal and eligibility and waivers and all that. And uh, I mentioned this yesterday, but the NCAA, it, they just, they can't do anything right. Right. They, first off the rule book was 10,000 pages thick. They were trying so hard to enforce a bunch of BS rules for a long time. And now they've seemingly swung the other way. And they've said, you know what? You want to have it be wild, wild west, uh, hands off now, you know, no rules. There are, there are no rules. Uh, and that doesn't seem to be the right, <laughs> that doesn't seem to be the right uh, option either from the NCAA. So they can't really seem to get anything right. Uh, so uh, I'm kind of just waiting to see when the dust settles on some of this stuff involving the transfer portal and eligibility and whatnot. And I think it's a, it definitely is the wild, wild west, but I think it, it could feel like it might close at any second, depending on different rulings. So kind of keeping a pulse on that, on some of what's going on there with the NCAA and possible eligibility stuff. But for now, you know, I think that the transfer portal really is the wild, wild west. And it really is in a lot of cases, Depending on the the player, maybe there's more financial motivation. Maybe there's you know other other factors involved. And and again, I don't know. Again, reading into what Gage Keys said and his kind of announcement that he was going to be transferring really made it seem like he did really really enjoy Kansas. And maybe there was a situation where he was looking to be more on, on the NIL side. And maybe Kansas wasn't able to get up there. Maybe he received a bigger offer from somewhere else. But certainly, regardless, uh, you wish Gage Keys the best going forward uh, as he enters the portal as a graduate transfer. And uh, we'll see uh, if KU sees any more portal entries as they get closer and closer to the bowl game. And, and remember, remember the fact that with the uh, bowl game, the portal remains open. Uh, I, I think it's January 3rd is the final day that, that you can enter. So you could see some guys play in the bowl game and then enter the portal afterwards and whatnot. So still uh, plenty more dominoes to fall, I'm sure, in the whole saga of transfer portal, both at Kansas and around the entire country, right? And 
you know, some of this stuff could be out of out of the hands of Kansas if there are players on the program that maybe there are other outside programs looking and saying, hey, you know, we can offer you this, this, and this, and maybe trying to poach some of Kay's players. But I do have a lot of faith in Lance Leipold and his staff that they are doing their best to, to take care of the players that they have. And, and I think that's shown, right? I mean, KU has right now the one of the lowest uh, portal entries in the Big 12, right? So they have a lot of guys are certainly committed to the program. And I thought Shreya Salata made a great point uh, in our last segment about uh, the fact that who wouldn't want to be a part of the KU program right now in terms of being a part of something rising up from the ashes and this new era of Kansas football. They're about to get a new football stadium coming up as well as they start to build that. And so there's a lot there's a lot of reasons to be excited about sticking around and, and being a part of this program if, if you're a player for, for KU. So that's something to keep in mind as well. So, so Gage Keys enters the portal. Uh, biggest loss for KU, I think, up to this point. And uh, we'll see what KU does going forward if they are looking to possibly make some moves in that area. We're going to take a short time out here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Wanted to get into a little bit more of looking around the rest of the Big 12 Conference. You know, uh, I've mentioned it a couple times. We're three games away for Kansas from the start of conference play. So I wanted to do a quick little overview of kind of where everything is going with the rest of the Big 12 on the basketball side. And also Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, is going to join us here in about 20 minutes or so as well here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And also, Bill Self met with the media ahead of the Indiana game earlier this afternoon. We're going to get to that audio and have some discussion of uh, what Bill Self said coming up later on in the 5 o'clock hour. Don't forget tonight, after the show at 6 o'clock, High School Sports Weekly will be here on KLWN from 6 to 7 over at Mama's Tamale Shop in Lawrence. So if uh, you're looking for some of the best authentic Mexican food in Lawrence, be sure to check out Mama's Tamale Shop down there on 9th Street uh, for uh, High School Sports Weekly tonight and every Thursday night from 6 to 7 right here in Lawrence. And you'll be able to hear, of course, the uh, KU men's basketball game against Indiana coming up on Saturday morning. And we'll also have the women's basketball game here as well on KLWN later on Saturday afternoon. And uh, tomorrow night, Friday night, we're going to have some high school basketball here on our airwaves with Free State taking on Shawnee Mission West. So uh, that's a kind of a quick overview of our upcoming uh, sports schedule coming up here the rest of this week and this weekend. So keep it tuned in right here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to have some more talk about uh, the Big 12 basketball coming up here on the other side. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Almost half past four here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out sick again today. Hopefully he's back tomorrow. And uh, we're going to be joined in about 15 minutes or so by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, here in studio. He'll be hopping on with us to talk a little bit KU basketball, maybe get into some KU football with uh, with Brian as well here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And a reminder, after the show tonight, you can check out High School Sports Weekly right here on KLBN Live. You can also head down to Mama's Tamale Shop on 9th Street here in Lawrence. Check them out from 6 to 7 for High School Sports Weekly show here tonight. Uh, so as I mentioned, we are getting closer to the start of conference play on the hardwood and uh, kind of wanted to take a quick look around overview at uh, how everybody else in the Big 12 is faring as we get closer to the start of conference play. And uh, there's definitely been some some positive surprises and uh, some big negative surprises as well uh, for KU and, uh, well, I guess for the Big 12 in totality that, that could affect KU uh, as well. Uh, and when you look at the Big 12, again, it's the best conference in college basketball. Uh, I don't really think it's particularly close right now. Uh, when you think about some of the top big surprises 
that you've seen so far from uh, the Big 12 basketball, it's been some of the newcomers. Uh, BYU has certainly been a team that's kind of, uh, in some cases, let set the world ablaze with uh, with their start to the season. Nine and one, they did lose to rival Utah though recently. They're nine and one overall, but uh, the advanced metrics really love BYU. They're in the, t- they're in the top ten in Ken Palm, and uh, they've obviously been off to a very very strong start to their season. That's probably the biggest surprise. I think that was a team that was picked to finish in the bottom five in the Big Twelve in the preseason. So that uh, suddenly becomes uh, a team that I think jumps out as, okay, where did they come from, right? So probably I would say that maybe is the biggest surprise of the Big 12 so far in non-conference play has been BYU. Uh, and then when you when you consider Houston obviously being very, very dominant, Baylor looking pretty good so far, those are the top two teams. Houston, by the way, currently is, is number one uh, in Ken Palm overall. Uh, so they're number one. Uh, in Ken Palm in totality. So certainly they, they definitely like them. B- Baylor is number six. BYU is number seven. And when you think about how that impacts Kansas, uh, obviously they're going to play Houston twice. They play them in early February and then play them again on literally the last game of the regular season in Houston. And they get to play Baylor twice as well. You know, Baylor uh, at home on February 10th and then on the road in the first weekend in March. They do only play BYU once. That's at home later in February. So when you consider what some of the top teams have done in the Big 12 so far, that KU, I mean, so when you look at Ken Palm, Houston is one, Baylor is six, BYU is seven. KU plays Houston and Baylor twice, and uh, they do get BYU just once at home. Then you have Kansas sitting at 11th uh, overall in the country in, in Ken Palm. And, and uh, you know, we've, we've talked quite a bit about kind of what Kansas has done so far in the non-conference. You look at the rest of their non-conference schedule, they got Indiana on the road. Then they get Yale, which, again, I don't want to say anything bad about Yale because Derek, even though he's sick, may find a way to, to come on the air and and uh, berate me for saying, oh, 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 I don't know, Yale, yeah, I don't know, Yale's not very good, but don't let uh, Derek hear that. And the Wichita State uh, in Kansas City. So I think you feel pretty good about uh, KU being able to get out of this rest of this non-conference slate unscathed and uh, then start conference play. And, again, the start of their conference play is looking – Fairly easy, all things considered. So after KU at 11, they're, so overall, the Big 12 still has over half their conference. Actually, they have everybody with three teams in the conference in the top 50 in Ken Palm. So 11 teams in the top 50. Uh, so you got Kansas at 11, then Iowa State at 19. Oklahoma has been another pleasant surprise so far this season. That was a team that I think maybe there were some questions coming into the season about Porter Mosier and about what Oklahoma was going to be. They're sitting at 9-0 and right now. They're sitting, they're sitting undefeated right now. Uh, overall. And then uh, Cincinnati's been a pretty pleasant surprise as well, sitting at 8-1. and one. They're 26th in Ken Palm. Texas is down at 35. Texas has been a little bit, uh, maybe not as strong as people thought. And again, I think this is really a prove-it year for Texas because of the fact that, uh, you know, you, you have Rodney Terry, Gustavo Fring, as I like to call him, and, uh, you know, what can, can he prove it, right? Can he prove it after having such a talented roster last year that got all the way uh, to, to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament? So Texas, we'll wait and see on the biggest disappointment so far has definitely been Oklahoma State and West Virginia. I think there's no question about that. They're the two lowest-ranked teams uh, in Ken Palm at 96 for Oklahoma State, 130 for West Virginia. And obviously with West Virginia, I, I don't. I guess it, on one hand, I think that they've been a, the biggest disappointment, but it, maybe it shouldn't be that surprising given the fact that what they've dealt with in terms of off the, off the court with the Bob Huggins stuff, and they've had some guys with eligibility issues and whatnot and yada, yada, yada. So uh, they've, dis, they've been disappointing, though. Uh, to, to start their season, and Oklahoma State as well. And again, when you look at how that affects Kansas, 
Kansas is going to play Oklahoma State in their fourth conference game in the middle of January. And they actually play Oklahoma State and West Virginia back-to-back in two road games in January. And then uh, they don't play either one of them again. So the two lowest teams right now ranked in Ken Palm, K only gets them once. Uh, they do also get UCF uh, only once, which is the next lowest team in uh, in the Ken Palm ratings. So when you look at it from that standpoint, that means KU is going to be playing all the top teams in the Big 12, really, all the all the teams that are in the, uh, in the advanced metrics higher up, right? So it's going to be a tough schedule for Kansas nonetheless. There's a couple teams that I think the, the you're still trying to figure them out, right? You're still trying to figure them out. And I think the biggest one there has got to be Kansas State when you look at what they've been dealing with, uh, with Jerome Tang, with the Naquan Talman situation. They still have Tyler Perry, who seems like he's a really clutch shooter. Arthur Kaluma seems to be coming along for him. But that's a team where, again, it's like, you know, I think you could really argue both ways. Uh, you know, they could – they did get a win against Villanova at home, but uh, I think you could see them maybe going either way, right? They could maybe fall off and not be as good, or maybe they kind of uh, band together off of some of the adversity they faced early in the season. And then TCU, I think, is another team that's that's kind of interesting. They're 38th in Ken Palm right now. They're a team that, from KU's perspective, KU gets them, I believe, only once. Yeah, only once for TCU. And it's actually their first their first conference game, January 6th. They get TCU at home, and then they don't see them again uh, the rest of the season. So that's kind of an interesting team that maybe to keep an eye on, but the fact that KU gets them once and it's their opening game in conference play maybe doesn't affect KU as much. But there's a couple teams with where still maybe the jury's out a little bit. And I think you could maybe argue to a certain extent the jury's still out on Kansas about what they could be. You know, Bill Self has said it, has said it himself that uh, KU is still far away from what they can be, and uh, we'll see what they can do. They've got a game against Indiana coming up on Saturday, uh, taking on the Hoosiers, and it's a battle of two storied programs. They've had some storied matchups in the past, KU and Indiana. And, uh, and a guy who has said that the KU-Indiana game back in 1993 was sort of the catalyst of him becoming uh, a huge KU fan himself and ultimately coming on to become the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. He's going to join us in studio here next, coming up on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We'll take a short time out. Brian Haney joins us next year on RCST. Uh, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out sick today. So a little bit of uh, Nick Chalk Sports Talk, as I like to call it here on uh, RCST. And, uh, you know, Derek or no Derek, the show goes on. And on Thursdays, we are joined by none other than the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. Uh, here in studio, Brian. Uh, how you doing? How's, how's how's your day going today? Hey, not as well as yours, man. Happy birthday! <laughs> oh, thank you. The yeah, big two you. six. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm a big Jersey numbers guy, so I was just rattling off Wade Boggs, Saquon <laughs> Barkley. Oh, there you maybe, go, Saquon yeah. Bell. Yeah, there's been some good twenty sixes. Maybe Rod Woodson back in the day. You're probably too young <laughs> to remember that, but, uh, but yeah. yeah, that's yeah. that's a special birthday. Next yeah. year will be your Mike Trout birthday, and yep. Uh, yep, off to the races from there. Yeah. So I, I mean, I do feel quite a bit older. You know, I, I woke up and my my joints were a little bit stiffer than they were the day before. <laughs> you know, so I do feel I do feel a little bit older. But uh, enough about me. Over the weekend, KU takes down Missouri. Kind of a game where they just kept them at arm's length. Really, uh, you know, they got off to a slow start and then eventually got things going and, and kept them at arm's length in the second half. I guess 
just overall, kind of what was your takeaway from that game? And obviously with Thomas Robinson's jersey getting retired, what, what, what were kind of your thoughts on the game? Well, T-Rob was the biggest takeaway of the weekend for sure. Yeah. And, and we knew that would be special. I think had we won by 30 again, maybe the game equals the excitement of T-Rob. But the game itself, when you're coming off back-to-back years of just taking them behind the woodshed and winning by an average of 32.5 points, the win by nine was was a little lackluster. But as Bill Self said, hey, man, we're not going to ever apologize for beating Mizzou. It may not have been artistic, but we won by nine. And the key stretch, obviously, was the last six minutes of the first half when you go on a 20-2 to two run. And for those that were listening to the broadcast, I kept telling Greg, this feels like a boxing match where the only thing that's going to save them is the end of the round. And they get to go back to their corner and, and huddle up and, and recoup because we had them on the ropes. They're taking a shot to the jaw, left hook, right hook, left hook, right hook. 20 to 2. The only thing that would extend that game is is getting a chance to regroup. Had we had four more minutes of of clock time, the way KU had it rolling, I think you bury him by 20 plus at the break. But halftime saved the day and give Mizzou credit. They uh they actually won the second half by three over KU. So uh they pretty much traded baskets the rest of the way after that. And as Bill said yesterday, in a season of 35 or 40 games, you're going to have probably 10 games where you don't have your A effort in terms of offensive efficiency and shot making and all that. And it's on those days where you really have to hunker down, dig in, and play so intensely defensively that you force your opponent to look worse than you do. And he's obviously, for 21 years, done a great job of that. And he said in those 10 games a year where you just kind of have to ugly it up and out-tough them, if you can win seven of those ten when you don't have your fastball, so to speak, you're going to have a great year because, yeah. you know, if you have the talent edge most times out, as we should at Kansas, then on the days where the offense is half there, you're probably going to win nine out of ten. On the days when you're really hitting, you're going to win ten out of ten when you're at a place like Kansas. And I've yeah. heard, you know, you're a big baseball guy. I've heard pitching coaches say it the same way about a pitcher in a season where you get 30 starts – 10 of the 30, you're not going to have your best stuff. And it's on those days where you got to pitch to contact, get outs, find a way to eat some innings into the seventh somehow, and you come out with a win. And that's where I think Kansas was at on Saturday because realistically, they weren't going to be up on that same emotional high level they were the previous week versus UConn with the last two national champs. They'd already been told to get up emotionally for Tennessee, Marquette, Kentucky, Mizzou, I hate to say it, but for this generation, it's just not going to carry the same weight. And maybe there was a little bit of tightness because, to quote Bill, they were expected to win by so much based on the last two years. They know how much it means to the fans, much more so than it does to them individually. And so they felt pressure to come out and, and blow the doors off. And when that didn't happen out the gates, down 15 to 6, maybe they were a little bit tight. But thankfully, those last six minutes of the first half were more than more than good enough to, to run it the rest of the way, and that's exactly what we saw. Yeah, and I think something that illustrates kind of what you were talking about there a little bit is, is a guy like Hunter Dickinson, right? In a game where he, it seems like maybe he wasn't fully turned up, you look at the box score, 13 points and 16 rebounds on yeah. six of nine shooting, right? I mean, yeah. well, I just, it, it blows my mind, right? I mean, I was in the field house, I was watching him, and, and, and I was watching it live, I was thinking, you know, he doesn't look maybe as engaged as he has previously, but then again, you look at the stats and he just continues to find ways to make have major impact. I guess, what makes him so special, you think? Well, I mean, he's he's obviously a guy that can fall out of bed and pick up a double-double. <laughs> he's so good, so long. He's averaging almost 13 rebounds a game, 12.8, which leads the nation. And Chris Tyson did some great 
digging through the the stat books yesterday and came up with the fact that only four times in the illustrious history of Kansas basketball has a Jayhawk been the end-of-season leader in a major statistical category. Mm. And we did this on Hawk Talk for trivia last night, so folks that tuned in for that know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm not going to put you on the spot, <laughs> but but I know you being a younger guy, again, happy 26th birthday, you probably remember two seasons where Yudoka Azabuki led the nation in field goal percentage. You being a great journalist who's well-read know that I just said at halftime last Saturday, T-Rob led the nation in double-doubles with 27 uh, it was a school record, still is, probably always will be, um, back in 2012. That was another one. What do you suppose is the other instance of a Jayhawk leading the nation in something? And this is where most folks will get tripped up because your your initial instinct for most people will be, well, surely Wilt did yeah, it that's at what I'm I mean, Yeah, exactly. Amazingly, surprisingly, according <laughs> to Chris Tyson, our, our Big 12 SID of the year, Wilt is not the answer. Mm. Um, and folks that really go far back know that the first and only time someone has ever led the nation in scoring and won the national championship in the same season was 1952 and Cumulus Clyde Lavellet. Mm. So led the nation in scoring in 52. This all goes back to your Hunter Dickinson question. Why is he so yeah. great? Well, yeah. 12.8 rebounds per game. That's a pretty good start. Yeah. He's 12.6, I guess, is what he's down to now. But uh, almost 20 a game scoring. This is a guy, I, I can't remember. You probably have to go back to Rafe. The last time you had a big guy that was this good of a spot-up shooter, and you know he's shooting north of fifty percent from three. He's, he's got soft touch around the basket. Not the most dynamic athlete in terms of you know explosion or vertical leap or anything, but his just skillfulness and then his hunger on the glass and his play to your strength, play to your length mentality is why you're seeing a guy go for nineteen and thirteen a game and. You know, those guys don't come along very often. We should really appreciate it while he's here. And technically, he could come back next year, too, which yeah. is really exciting to think about. Yeah. Yeah. But, man, he's been brilliant. And if he keeps that stat edge that we talked about, think about that. Just five times ever and just four unique guys ever to lead the nation in a major statistical category, that's pretty big-time stuff. Yeah, and when you look at this team, and, and Bill Self has mentioned this, and he said, you know, hey, we've, we've got a long ways to go to maybe hit our total ceiling, right? And I think when you start breaking that down – you look at Hunter Dickinson, you look at K.J. Adams, you look at Kevin McCole, you look at Dewan Harris. I started to think maybe of of those four guys, and you could throw a Marco in there too as a starter, of, those, of, of the starters for Kansas, I guess, which one of those guys do you think maybe is the biggest or most important guy for KU hitting that ceiling, right? Is it Hunter Dickinson? I think you can make a case for any of them, right? I mean, Hunter Dickinson, Dewan Harris, K.J. Adams, which of those guys do you think maybe is most important for KU maybe reaching that ultimate ceiling that, that Bill Self hopes to see them see hit later in the season? You know, it's interesting in answering that because right now Kevin and Hunter are playing close to their ceiling. So to answer one of those would almost be counterproductive because we're already getting it. Now, there's no assurance that you're going to keep getting it for yeah. 40 games. And so if that's the case, I think they need to keep Kevin shooting near 40% from three, which would be a 10% uptick from last year. Keep Kevin scoring north of 18 a game in that Jalen and Ochai alpha dog role. If, if that's the case, then I'm going to say keep Kevin on the pace he's on. If you're allowing me to answer outside of those two givens, well, yeah, we got to get Juan going. KJ's been our best player for the last week and a half. 18, 18, and 17 the last three games. The big block he had in transition last week. It <laughs> looked like LeBron James in the 2016 NBA Finals. Yeah. Um, Which, by the way, how did he keep that in bounds? I mean, that was the craziest part. I thought of that play. 
You know, what's funny, I didn't realize this because I my mind and my eyes go to wherever the ball goes as the play-by-play guy, and, and I'm watching Hunter Dickinson get an and one five seconds later on <laughs> yeah. the other end. But yeah. apparently, according to Coach Self, who watches the film, that KJ then... KJ thought it went out of bounds. So he started flexing to the crowd and, and Bill made the joke. He thought he was going to take a shirt off because uh, it was such a macho manly play or whatever. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, I think, I think it bounced off the backboard and off we go with the carom and quickly back the other way. And yeah. boom, ching, Hunter Dickinson's got an and one, but what a play. Uh, you know, if KJ can continue to feast in the 10 feet to 14 feet range where he's got that little shot put shot going. Hunter commands, in many cases, double teams on the block. And they've got enough respect on the perimeter with the other guys that right now that wheelhouse in the mid-range for KJ just does that little from-the-shoulder push shot, little shot put type shot. Man, if he's hitting that at the clip he has been these last three games, look out. But the guy that's not played to his ability level yet but you know what's in there is Dewan. And so here I am talking about three or four guys. But but he's the guy that, that really needs to unlock it. And Bill Self, in the classic Hall of Fame coach kind of way last night, we're out there at Johnny's, and we've got Dewan as our featured player guest. And he's he's stroking him with with confidence and praising him on, on one breath and then coming right back with an X saying, but man, is he turning it over <laughs> and, and laughing. And he's, he's doing it playfully while looking at Juan teasing him that Juan's girlfriend, Yvette Mayberry, may have a better assist-to-turnover ratio than DeWan does. Only Bill can get away with saying that. But you get his his drift. He knows there's more in there from DeWan. There's more efficient play. There's more assertive play. There's there's finishing with those patented DeWan Harris driving, running layups from the hip that always went down in previous years. And this year it's been a little give and take with that. And so Bill did an amazing job last night of complimenting Juan as one of his most beloved players ever while also using that one hour at a local watering hole to remind him you need to take better care of the ball, <laughs> which I thought, wow, this guy is masterful motivator when it comes to those types of things. And Juan was great in his interview, by the way. If you missed that, go back and listen to it. ESPN Plus telecast is up now. Talks about the adversity he went through as a kid, uh, from his father being incarcerated to losing him at an early age, to being raised by his mother and his grandmother, and, and how much he adores and loves them, to what motivated him to keep going when he was ready to give up academically. He was a non-qualifier, and there was a mountain of work to pursue just to get eligible at Kansas. And Bill Self motivated him to keep going. And now, Nick, he actually has the top GPA on the entire team. You talk about one extreme to the other. What a success story. So go back and watch that interview if you missed it on the Hawk Talk replay. It was really good stuff last night with DeWan. Yeah, I mean, definitely a great story both on and off the court. And I think what's most interesting about DeWan, too, is I think for me in a lot of cases, it's not even so much the, the counting stats to where you see DeWan's full impact, right? It's He can be that sort of maestro, that conductor of the game tempo, right? And that That's the thing that I, I think I want to see more from him this season, right? Mm-hmm. It's his ability to just kind of conduct the offense and, and be that uh, that guy that, that runs the show, right? Exactly. Bill Self talks about you know being able to be the, the guy that makes the pass that doesn't necessarily lead to the shot at the end of the play, but leads to the pass that leads to the shot, being that offensive initiator where you don't necessarily get credited with the assist or the bucket yourself, but you set it in motion, whether it was created with dribble penetration that got the whole defense off kilter, or it was just a a really well-timed, well-placed pass that was one pass away from the eventual bucket. Juan's a great guy in that regard, and uh, I think we'll see more of that going forward. It's in there. It is. You know, is is he the, the best physically built 
guy if you were building a prototypical point guard? No, he's a little slender. Is he the fastest, most explosive guy ever? No, but do you trust this guy as a national championship winning point guard who more times than not has come up with the big play, who more times than not has made the key stop? He's the reigning Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year as voted by uh, upon by the league's coaches who know a thing or two about the tough defenders in the league. And he's in the same backcourt as Kevin McCuller, who was a national semifinalist for National Defender of the Year. So this guy brings so much to the equation. And, you know, he and Bill both admitted it's been a little bit slower of a start to the year for him. But in long story short form, as I typically do on this show, uh, <laughs> that would be my answer to your question. If we could get him going yeah. while sustaining what we've seen out of the other guys, then look out because we are looking like the number one team if that's the case. We're talking with Brian Haney here, voice of the Jayhawks on Rock Talk Sports Talk. So KU, game coming up on Saturday against Indiana, uh, a game that, you know, KU Blue Blood, Indiana, maybe on the edge there. Some people maybe wouldn't, wouldn't call them that. But either way, you're on the road in, a, in a, a hostile environment, in an environment that has a lot of history to it. Uh, against an Indiana team that's probably looking for a marquee win, right? Uh, what, do, what do you kind of expect out of this game for Kansas heading up to take on Indiana? First off, we did a Blue Bloods history segment on Rock Chalk Sports Talk way back in probably the summer of 2005 when <laughs> when uh, Nick was, gosh dang, like eight years old. Would that yeah, be the math probably, on that? Yeah. yeah. Birthday boy. Um, and we had on the play-by-play voice or the PA announcer, depending on who we could get, from Kansas, Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, and UCLA. Those were the five. I noticed one missing. There. Yeah, there's one missing. <laughs> uh, and there's, some would tell you there's multiple missing. And, and, you know, since then, UConn's tacked on a bunch more yeah. national titles. Arizona's fallen off. We drew the line at those five. And there was a case to be made for all five. And I know we don't have time to dive into it now. We're nearing the top of the hour. But, but real quickly, you know, UCLA had the titles. Kentucky at the time had the most wins. Carolina had Jordan. Duke was the prominent program in the last 30 years at the time. And then there was Kansas, who had the father of basketball, the father of basketball coaching, second in wins, all that. Since then, we've seen Kansas become the winningest ever, then give 15 wins back. Don't worry, we'll we'll be the winningest program by the end of the year again. But uh, we've seen Kansas tack on another couple titles since that summer. So everybody has their own argument. But Kentucky um, was probably the the bluest of the blue bloods in the sense that both UCLA and Indiana, who we didn't really spend a ton of time talking about, kind of went dormant after their heyday. After Wooden and Knight were gone, was it sustained? No, it wasn't. Um, you know, Mike Davis took them to a Final Four at one point in in '02. We were there same year they were, um, but it w- really wasn't sustained, and so that's why they fell just a step short. But let me tell you, this is a great environment we're going into on Saturday, over 17,000 strong. Bill Self said next to the field house, this is the toughest place he's ever coached in. And and they will be frothing at the mouth because they're a good team that's not played great, but you know what's in there. Just like we were saying with DeWan, yeah. nothing would motivate them more and get them going more than taking down number two in the country. So it's going to be a raucous environment. I think they're just on the outside looking in a blue blood status and Saturday certainly isn't going to get them there. <laughs> Hanging another banner would. But games like that, when you beat Kansas's, keep you in the conversation. But I think right now they're they're high on that second tier list with UConn in the in the next tier, whatever color blood you want to put on that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey Brian, uh, thanks for coming in. He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Uh, Brian, 
Before we let you go, a uh, word from Nate Miller. That's right. Nate Miller is my main man when it comes to financial futures and sitting you down, taking a look at your portfolio, or maybe building one for the first time and helping you decide what you need to do to make sure you have the most profitable and secure financial future. He'll do for you what he's done for so many here in the Lawrence area. Check him out at MillerRetirementGroup.com. That's MillerRetirementGroup.com. One of our favorites, Nate Miller. All right. He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Thanks so much, Brian. For stopping by. Two hours down, one to go here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to break down some Bill Self audio that he talked about uh, from uh, from talking with Indiana, or ahead of the Indiana game coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, but first, uh, here's the disclaimer. Ryan is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Ryan does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. All right, two hours down, one to go. This is RCST on KLWN. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.